podcast from Drew and Mike is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. Round two with Aiden, and I'm happy to say another opportunity to talk about some great topics connected to the world's number one democracy. Yes, you've guessed it. We're talking about some of the recent events in domestic US politics which simply do not add up and which really make us question the level of social cohesion that exists in that part of the world. We cover COVID, socialism, robber barons, believe it or not, and we even managed to fit in a critique on how people put loved ones under so much pressure that they explode with raw frustration. It's another emotionally charged chat with Aiden, and I thank him for his time. Aiden, it's great to have you back, um, especially because I enjoyed our first chat so much. Uh, how are you? I'm good. How about you, man? Yeah, yeah, good, good. I, I mean, yeah, much like yourself, uh, sitting here sweating in sort of silent torture. Um, but yeah. I mean, is, is it bad over there? Um, actually, today it's been pretty cool. Um, I'd say, let me see what the weather's looking like. 81 degrees out right now. Um, okay. not too bad. Um, I think earlier this week we've had like 92, but. We had a few days in like a month ago that were like above 100 and that was pretty rough. So I'm feeling really good, honestly, <laughs> for July, like middle of July, feeling really great. OK. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I, I enjoy sampling that that positivity. Um, and yeah, it, it, we've had a, some difficult days recently in Europe, other parts much worse than where I am in Berlin. So in, in Spain yeah. and France and even around London, you know, f sort of forest fires, uh, people dying, you know, these crazy videos of people emerging from these walls of flame with their clothing on fire. It's unbelievable what's happening. I saw I saw that uh, yesterday was the busiest day that the London fire departments had since World War Two. And I was very surprised about that but at the same time not i guess just kind of one of those moments that really gets you to like just be like wow that's insane like and these are all just natural events that are happening you know yeah. like yeah and in fact they said that um a part of the problem i mean they expect to work hard especially in these kinds of scenarios that's not the the issue the the problem that they have is their their equipment isn't top of the range they're underfunded they don't have enough um uh, fire engines the um they don't have enough firefighters either so this is another yeah. one of those classic situations where the, the the conservative government over the last 12 years has decided to redirect funding um into areas which doesn't necessarily serve the people directly um yeah. and yeah these kinds of situations really brings it out that you know you need to help people uh, and you need to help people who help other people um and the, they provide an extremely important service to to the community why would you yeah. allow them to remain underfunded it doesn't make any sense no it's yeah <laughs> it, it just it's very crazy to imagine that that like i mean how, how do you feel with the boris johnson being out now like he's He's gone. How do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm tempted to say too little, too late. Um, yeah. The thing is, the last people remaining, so um, uh, Rishak and uh, Liz Truss, you know, these were people who are, were heavily involved in Boris Johnson's government anyway. So for me, anybody who had any kind of position within the Conservative government under Johnson is tainted, to say the least. Yeah. Um, and for them to turn around now and say, you need me to um, you know, improve the state of the economy um, and to do this or do that. The question is, so, so what were you doing before then? 
you know, that was your job, Mr. Chancellor. Yeah, absolutely. I just, <laughs> I love hearing that, that perspective. I don't know too many people that are from Europe and in that area and like have that, that point of view and like are actually kind of impacted by those decisions. Um, like, I mean, Boris Johnson's been kind of crazy and I feel as though <clears throat> a lot of Americans kind of saw him as like British Donald Trump. Um, and, and would you feel, do you feel as though that's like an accurate statement? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, when he sort of emerged as uh, prime minister potential, when he kind of, you know, stabbed Theresa May in the back, um, I believe even then they were calling him Donald Trump with a dictionary. Um, yeah. And that's that's yeah, that's, that's basically all he is, yeah. I, I would say, as in two embarrassing leaders um, of their nations. Um, yeah. I, I can't I can't t- term him in any other way. He is an embarrassment. And I think most or a lot of Americans feel the same about Trump. Yeah. Well, sounds like a lot of us had the same like political experience with some of our leaders recently. That's cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. What, a, and, um, what a shitty time. Yeah, it is actually. Um, I mean, but talking of political leaders, I heard today that uh, Biden has tested positive for Corona. So um, yeah, I, I just saw that that little news notification on my phone and was talking to my mom about it. And we were just like, man, that's crazy. And she was like, I wonder if Joe Biden will die. And I was like, I'm, I don't. Honestly, I don't think he will. We're, he's probably. I mean, he is super boosted up with all the vaccines that we've got at the moment. And also the current variation of COVID isn't super deadly. Like it's more transmittable. It's it's more passable between people. So I, I don't know if anything bad will happen to Joe Biden. He might just be a little bit groggier for a couple of weeks. And uh, honestly, I don't think anybody will notice any difference, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, his his detractors already call him Sleepy Joe, don't they? So if he's any, yeah. any groggier than he is at the moment, um, that's going to be quite interesting. But I mean, surely under these conditions, he passes the presidency over to Kamala Harris, doesn't he? Uh, I believe so. I honestly have no idea. I think uh, when it happened with Donald Trump, I think that uh, Mike Pence ended up doing a lot of stuff. But Donald Trump was still pretty active in the hospital. Like he wasn't like dying dying um like unfortunately a lot of people have them like in the way that this virus impacts people like a a lot of people like these politicians who get it end up being fine because they get the vaccines and they end up being like we're okay and so like i guess if anything it just goes to show the efficacy of the uh vaccines and how well they work um so that's cool (laughs) But mm. overall, I mean, it's just it's it, it's also a reminder that COVID's not done and that COVID's not over, I guess, as well. Like, I think that a lot of Americans have kind of put it to the background of our mind and we're not really thinking about it anymore. Um, but it's really important to remember that it's still a thing that it's still impacting people. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I've I've read a few uh, sort of Twitter threads with regards to long COVID, and you know, if you do actually happen to suffer from long COVID, and it's extremely debilitating over a long period of time, and some people, uh, you know, remain um, suffering from you know certain you know, movement or physical limitations and restrictions, which you know completely change their the ability to you know enjoy their lives in the way they had done yeah. before yeah this is understated because we only hear about the statistics of death so in the UK it's 200,000 in America i think over a million people have died from you know, corona um but yeah. there are also many others who have uh, other um sort of health issues which i don't know what the statistics are for these people yeah and and what's also interesting with that is just that we also don't know like what are going to be all the effects of long-term COVID like it's still so young and COVID is still so new that we're only beginning to get an idea of what some of these long-term symptoms are like COVID hasn't even been around for longer than like three years so we don't know what the effects are even going to be like 20 years down the line. If anything is even going to show up at that point, things could be worse. Like 
there are going to be repercussions and side effects because of COVID at this point. And it's just going to be really interesting to see how we continue to combat it and how we continue to live with it because it's just not going away. Mm. Yeah. And what's interesting in a country like the USA where there is no universal healthcare system, which is sort of free at the point of service, as it were. Um, yeah. You know, if people go if people have suffer from covid uh sort of as connected or relevant uh, side effects or sort of health uh, consequences and they go to a hospital and the hospital says did you get your vaccines or your vaccinations and they say no i didn't they say okay well then you don't qualify for health insurance in that case and uh, this one you're going to have to pick up on your own um i mean can you foresee a situation like that arising in the usa um <clears throat> no that's way too authoritarian um and about and and in a direction that is like something that a lot of americans have consistently been very like anti about i suppose um and and as much as it sucks to say that <laughs> that in, enforcing a vaccine is something that cannot happen in the U.S. at this moment, and in particular, just because there is such distrust um, in each other and and in the vaccines themselves, like I just don't see it happening, and that sucks because I mean the Supreme Court just banned women autonomy, and so like in terms of the authoritarianism, it seems too authoritarian while our current system is being super authoritarian you know what i mean mm. like it's just it's too authoritarian in a leftward direction that it will just never happen so i don't think that we would see something like that unfortunately and then and if we did it might be because like it might be something like the flu shot or something like that where it's just normalized to a point where you just go and you get it at like a cbs and it's just like cool um and like to go to school and whatnot too i think that i think that it's always an important thing to recognize that in the u.s your children have to be vaccinated for multiple things before they can go to school but then as soon as covid comes up people are like no my child can't get vaccinated why are you enforcing these vaccine mandates on us and it's like dog you had a vaccine mandate you just didn't like you were too young to be able to say anything about it. And also it was 1980 and your parents were like, yeah, we don't want measles. Like that's where we are now. So hopefully it just gets more normalized in terms of how many people are actually doing it and how many people are vaccinating. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting how different countries deal with these things, but as you say, we'll, we'll see how, um, how that develops. Um, Kind of relevant to our discussion that we want to touch on later on. But as you mentioned, the Supreme Court, then uh, we might as well jump in from this angle. So recently, um, I think it was this week, um, the uh, is it the Senate or the House of Representatives passed this uh, Respect for Marriage Act. Um, But a lot of Republicans, about over 160, I think, voted against this particular bill. Um, Yeah. I I don't understand why Republicans insist on trying to piss people off, but it seems as though that is their mission. Um, Yeah. Why? What's going on with these guys? Um, Reactionary. They kind of just go and they know that things are going to get a reaction out of the left. Um, I mean, it's it's been interesting to see like the different house members that were like um saying things like man but it'll never happen so we don't need to worry about doing this bill and then other people on the left being like but if it like if clarence thomas does decide that this that we want to overturn this then that's when this bill becomes essential. Like, it's not one of those things, like, it, it it can never be too late to do something like this. And so, like, it's it's interesting just to see how many Republicans continue to oppose just the popular norms, I guess, <clears throat> like where we are right now. 
like it's 2022 i feel like gay marriage and equality between human beings has kind of been on an up and up uh luckily and it's just so crazy to watch these continuous back steps like and the unfortunate thing is that it, it it got through the house but it's not going to get through the senate and i do not see it getting past the senate it's going to get filibustered it is going to sit there and it is going to die and it is going to become nothing until uh like 20 years from now we're gonna like democrats are gonna come back and be like we have to do this again and like it's 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 just it doesn't work like with the filibuster in particular like Mitch McConnell and the and the Republicans they they consistently every single time that the left has tried to pass any kind of bill they always filibuster they always leave that bill to wait and they just do not talk about it and they don't do it and it's it's frustrating just because that we never will see any progress with with such a archaic rule like an archaic uh, law it, it's it's crazy is crazy i mean some of the reading of the material that i've uh, you know had the opportunity of looking at um so in a poll uh, of democrats 83 percent supported the respect for marriage act and 55 percent of republicans so there's still a majority of republican voters according to this particular poll a gallup poll in june apparently um, yeah. They support same-sex marriage. So why would the party that supposedly represents them decline to follow this particular uh, opinion, which appears to be, as you say, uh, increasing? Uh, like we're going to talk about later on, it's gonna. It, it's a lot of stuff that's really ingrained in American society. Um, and things that are just passed down from household to household, like, or like from family member to family member. It's, it's, you, you grow up in one time period where it's like being gay is something that you're not supposed to be and that you stay closeted and you just shut up and you get married to a woman and you have kids and then you go to work and you die. And that mindset and that lifestyle has kind of, unfortunately for some households in america it continues to remain the same it, it it continues to remain that very homophobic transphobic conversation that does not allow for acceptance and understanding of individuals and how they are um and that really is unfortunate because it feels like a lot of where accepting and understanding who you are comes from the household and it comes from having the comfort of your home and people that encourage you to be who you are. And when there's that constant suppressor or oppressor who's like, no, you cannot open up about how you feel or who you are, it, it kind of increases the homophobia. It, it increases that, that internal like hatred and fear as well. So it, it's very much rooted in households at the moment it feels yeah i was just gonna say that quite often um i've read about people who have carried out sort of hate crimes on uh homosexuals um and and it transpired that they themselves had homosexual um feelings or um they felt attraction to people of their own sex but they couldn't understand it and they yeah. realized that you know they were not allowed to experience anything or experiment um along those lines um and, and their only way of dealing with it was to react in an aggressive manner towards others and I mean, as you as, as you say i mean that is that's because they have been forced to suppress these natural feelings um uh, yeah, and whenever you suppress such sort of deep-seated natural uh, tendencies, the reaction is only going to be aggressive. Yeah, and and it's terrifying because we in America have such ease of access to weapons that when somebody decides that they just want, like, if they get to a place where they feel as though that is the action that they're going to take, they can do it with 
unfortunately quite a bit of ease um and that's terrifying just just that somebody can have that whim and just be like oh now i'm gonna do this and they can Mm. and they do it consistently in america it's a non-ending issue yeah um i mean yeah we, we spoke about this um yeah, the last time, and um, yeah, I, I can't imagine how many people have died in shooting since then. Um, I've not necessarily heard of it because the um, the newsreels have gone into you know different directions, but um, I'm sure there've been a few. Yeah, we we've had several that I can think of. In fact, there was one just a few days ago in uh, my state, and it's one of the few cases which I just personally think is crazy where a good guy with a gun actually stops the shooter. It was a random civilian who had a gun and like an open carry. And there was a shooter in a, in a store. And I believe he ended up shooting three people. And then this random civilian ended up shooting the shooter. And it was like, Hey, for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, this is maybe why we have guns. I guess but like it was just so bizarre it's going to be this one case and i i promise you that republicans are going to be cherry picking that one as like this this very specific case of look when a good guy has a gun i think this is why we have guns folks and that's that sucks but that that happened very recently and that was kind of crazy to me to see that the very definition of the exception that proves the rule as it were but um yeah i mean but going back to this sense then of acceptance which you which you refer to um and i i struggle a lot with this because um for now for me i've never felt in any way that i need acceptance from anyone for whatever or whoever i am or whatever or whoever i like um now i understand that i'm i've lived in in london italy germany um privileged places um my skin tone is suggestive of being the right one in certain circumstances um and so therefore i don't naturally have to deal with um you know open hatred or at least not as frequently as other people would automatically have done so the issue is that why is it that one individual feels that it's up to them whether or not they will accept a gay person, a lesbian, a transsexual, um, queer, um, or any one of these other um, LGBTQIA individuals. Why do we feel the need that we have to accept them? They should, shouldn't people automatically be, are, are, are we not at the stage where people are born automatically accepted? I, I don't get it. This is what I struggle yeah, with. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to put it. Um, in America, no, nobody is ex- like it feels very much like you have to prove your worth before you're ever accepted to be anything. Um, and and some for some people, you like like you were mentioning, like in all these circumstances, like where you're white and you're educated and you're privileged in these ways, like, so you aren't having to experience this acceptance, like this worry of being accepted. You also love who is, who, who, like who is widely accepted as somebody who you should love as a woman, I assume. And so like when it changes up like that and there are, these people who feel as though they aren't fitting into these social norms, like they aren't dating a woman and their family might not accept them. It is weird to imagine that like people have to be accepted into their family, that they aren't just part of the family because they choose to love who they love. I think that the way that you put that was fantastic, like in terms of just why are they not accepted right out the gate and i don't know like i i do think that it is partially like approving your worth proving what you're capable of um 
but there should be way more of this feeling of just acceptance in general of who you are and i like you for that and i like who you are for being the individual that you are you're unique and you're different and you are you and there there are too way too many people who are just like i want you to be exactly like me i want you to do all the things that i never did in high school like a lot of parents who project and do that kind of thing so i mean yeah it's weird to imagine all these parents that do shit like that who are like push their kids in these directions because they either did those things or didn't do those things and then also being like fuck you for being who you want to be i hate that (laughs) like (laughs) what a horrible thing to do like that's your child i would imagine that you would want them to be who they want to be and to be anything that they can be and to provide that to them and instead you have it all like pre-planned for them and it's just kind of weird and creepy like i just don't get it i was was speaking with um a student earlier who's also a parent and his uh, son plays football as it what you would call soccer um and you know he mentioned this you know he feels the same way that i do that you know i enjoy watching my son play football because he enjoys playing football i have zero expectations of him turning into a pro um, I don't want to push him towards professional sport. If he doesn't want it, that's cool. Um, yeah. But there are so many parents who say, like, no, 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 you've got to do it. You've got to do it. You've got to be a pro and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, one minute, how much pressure do you really want to put on this kid? Yeah. Yeah, It. it's. I wouldn't want to do that for my child. I. I mean, like, I remember... When I was in high school, I used to do a lot of music. Music was my thing. I played trumpet and jazz band and a marching band, and I was pretty decent at it. And my parents really encouraged me to go to school for music. And like I applied to a music school, um, and I thought about trying out to get like scholarships and whatnot, like through music. And I just didn't end up doing it because I wasn't very confident in my skills and whatnot. And sometimes my parents feel as though they wish that they would have encouraged me to go in the music direction a little bit more because, like, I would have been able to stay at that school and whatnot. But every time I'm always I always tell them how thankful I am that they didn't encourage me to go in that direction, because instead I got to learn a lot more about myself and I got to take on these trials and tribulations that didn't go well all of them and some of them went great and like it was nice to get to just have my parents like let go and just be like go for it and for me to fuck up on my own and I think that like constant parent hand-holding and guidance to just do everything that the parent wants to do it's it's difficult to let go I imagine like to be like, all right, I'm ready for you to go be your own thing. And yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm thankful that my parents let me go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for a parent to show their child or children that they're there for them. Um, They will provide them with the encouragement and support uh, that uh, is needed, but essentially, they have to live their own lives. So I want my kids to live their lives the way they want to live their lives. And and I will provide the safety net as much as is humanly possible, but without developing a dependency. Now, yeah. the, moment, moment, the moment you create that kind of constant dependency, then the kid doesn't really ever flee the nest, does he? Because... Yeah. You know, whatever they know they think oh it doesn't matter i can do whatever i want because you know when shit hits the fan there they are no yeah. you've got to take responsibility for your own crap too but you know we would always love you that kind of thing um yeah 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 absolutely i i feel very fortunate for the family that i've got in that in that sense of just like good safety net like when shit has hit the fan i've been able to pull myself back together but my parents have definitely been there to help me out because I didn't know what to do and that's I feel like that's 
a great parent and is just somebody who's like able to help you out and, and encourages you to to go do your things like you said but to also be that backup if you need it and like when you need it so i i like i like parents most of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah but interestingly my my view on politics is quite similar to my view on families in the sense that the government should exist to encourage its uh, citizens to go out there to do the best that they can to contribute proactively and positively to society and when yeah. things don't go so well the government is also there to provide that supporting hand the assistance the care health care education and training um without undue uh, pressure financially or otherwise yeah um you know and to go out there and just express themselves you know um it sounds a lot like socialism i can't what, what was that <laughs> word what i yeah. can't believe you said that word yeah yeah um, me neither <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean you're right it is in many ways socialism but it doesn't sound that bad does it i mean it's yeah so what's what's going on it's pretty basic stuff honestly that's the crazy thing is like i mean the things that uh, social democrats ask for in america are things that our european allies have and do (laughs) often like i mean canada for fuck's sake they're not even a european neighbor and they're literally above us and they do so many things like like we just mentioned, like healthcare, education, all, all these things that they take care of so much better than America does. European countries that do it so much better. And they're all really tight allies with America. And meanwhile, the whole time, America is like, ew, socialism is yucky. It's communism and it's gross and it's bad. And it's very much just this rooted history that America has with russia and and the red scare and communism it's it's crazy um yeah but but doesn't it go back a little bit before so i like you because last time you were so well prepared with all of your research (laughs) i was like my god matt like this guy is cool yeah so i I, i've done a little bit of research some of these like the the robber barons of the u.s economy these guys go back before the Bolshevik oh, Revolution yeah. of 1970. So we're talking Rockefeller, Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, Vanderbilt. Yeah, these guys. Yeah, the Robert Barons. Um, yeah, these were hardcore. Um, you could say very much against any kind of enterprise which simply sought to provide service to the people without due remuneration. Yeah. Yeah, and their principles have continued unabated throughout the yes. generations. <laughs> They, they are. If anything, I feel like those fellers are our founding fathers more than like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. They stand way more for the values of like where America's at nowadays than a lot of our founders were. And like those those people were very much like they didn't give a fuck about the worker. They just kept pumping out things and like making money it was all about profit it was all about money and we very much have kept that idea of money making in the american mind and it's stayed that way like we haven't really moved away from the idea of money making is the goal like we want to be making as much capital as we can in America. Everybody's goal should be to make as much capital in America. And that feels as though that's what's really pressured and pushed for you. And like those robber barons, like you said, man, like they really fucking are like, they feel like the founders of America. They are the motherfuckers who really like the people who own America nowadays, that like, that it's them. It's folks like them. Like the top 10% of Americans, holy crap, how much money you guys have. Like, scary. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's some of the. Th- I mean, I've listened to a number of uh, interesting podcasts um, about people who have been involved in HUD, so the Housing and Urban Development, um, which is perhaps uh, America's largest um, government uh, sector, um, and the amount of money that has simply been, uh, you know, I don't know how to say. Um, made to disappear through this uh <laughs> system yeah it's unbelievable um and it's all facilitated by the the individual enterprises which are connected to government and to contracts and this sort of shadow uh existence which is there constantly in the background um yeah, yeah it's scary almost yeah, we see a lot of stuff like that, unfortunately, where these politicians are in a position like that. Like, it's it's scary to imagine that politicians play such a heavy role in these so like in these socialist programs. Because I mean, much like HUD, the VA, um, we like to talk about the VA and how we treat our veterans and we get like, they come back home from, from fighting. And I mean, America's budget on the military is huge. We, we have a huge military and we put our, we put all of our military members through hell. It is no fucking joke. Um, and then they come back to America and <laughs> the shit that we call a VA is so disappointing because it doesn't help our veterans. It is horribly funded and that is by design it is so that way republicans can consistently be like these are the socialist things that you want to make and they're not working now look at this look at this and the reason why it doesn't work is because republicans refuse to fund them they act as though it's the democrats fault that these things aren't happening and i mean i promise you that there are democrats who are not helping but the majority of democrats are helping with these things and advocating for these systems it's the the whole time these these republicans are just like look at this it's crazy we can't even help our own veterans with the budget that the military has and it's like dude that's your fault man like fucking fund them better you're making these funding calls what the hell you know like it's very much that there are politicians that just refuse to to give part or even give way for any of these socialist movements like we saw it with ronald reagan in the 1980s and how he like went through and gutted social programs that we had like social security and any other social funding like social welfare like he just fucking gouged it all out based off of like one stereotype of the welfare queen and he fucking ran on it. And that was it. Like social programs in America passed that were fucking shot. And that sucks because before that, a lot of people really depended on it. It was millions of Americans that depended on these welfare systems and on social security developed by FDR in the 1930s and the middle of the Great Depression. Like America hasn't always been so afraid of socialism. Like it, it's been something that we've used before and we've pulled it out in cases where we need to. And we like when I like when socialism or Social Security was created in uh, the Great Depression, it feels as though we're kind of moving in a similar direction where we need to have more of a social safety net. I mean, where the economy is going, where humans are at in America, like where Americans are at. I mean, holy crap, dude, we are not doing okay. And in these moments where Americans are on the downslide, like politicians need to step up and fix that shit immediately. Because if if it's a consistent issue, it's not the American people that are the problem. It is it is the politicians and it is the people in power. Like they are the ones making these issues. It is not the people. But it's scary that they've got so many people who essentially regurgitate the same kinds of statements. So if if I'm ever on Twitter and I uh, sort of read through uh, a Twitter thread, which even slightly touches on the the concept of socialism, straight away, you've got people jumping in saying, 
oh man you guys you're gonna kill our country um yeah. you, you just like um you know you don't want to actually work um you know this is you you want to take away our liberty you want to regulate everything and it's like you know one one, one minute dude yeah um yeah the, the word is socialism social yeah. yeah it's based upon society it's based upon creating you know the opportunity from which individuals can thrive obviously as well yeah. but however you're essentially saying we need to prioritize the whole and not just the individual um yeah. but people don't want to listen to that because they have been conditioned as you say generation after generation socialism bollocks you know shoot that shit down um yeah. capitalism that's your best friend and yeah you know wow i mean we've seen like america's relationship with socialism i mean we had the reds like we had a first red scare in during the first world war which was um i wrote everything down let me just pull it out mm -hmm. we got uh the espionage act in 1917 um, which basically just allowed the U.S. to arrest any citizens that they uh, believe were disloyal to America. Pretty sweet. Pretty nice. Um, and then also the Sedition Act of 1918, which extended penalties for um, people that were found obstructing war bonds, um, uttering disloyal or abusive language about the government, constitution, the flag, or even the military uniform. So just like some pretty uh, regular stuff that all governments do, you know, really normal. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And especially for like a country that really is like freedom of speech is like the number one thing, like super chill and mm. really lines up, makes sense. Oh, yeah. Would never. Yeah. And so we see our first like red scare in America during that time. And uh, I cannot remember what the, this book was called, but there was a very popular book going around in America before uh, World War One happened. And it was a very socialist uh, book. It never used the word socialism, but it was basically about where the future of America would go in the year 2000. And it talked a lot about like safety nets, um, social structures that really allowed for the betterment of all citizens rather than the betterment of individual citizens. Um, and before World War One, this book had been popularized in America and was gaining popularity. And then World War One happened and America was like, yo, socialism and communism are scary, not even communism, just socialism, because we don't even know about communism as much yet. Socialism's scary, fuck that. And then 1930 hits and we go through a great depression and americans begin to pick up this book again the socialist book and they begin to realize that hey the government could help us out more the government should help us out more and fdr implements social security and then in world war like post world war ii we see the red scare happen again and this time it's already been rooted from before and americans already remember this initial red scare and so they just kind of go back to it and it's kind of stayed exactly how it is since it hasn't really changed a whole lot luckily that like the feeling of socialism in america does feel as though it's becoming more accepted like i saw a statistic that said 50 percent millennials um would like to live in a uh, socialist government and i thought that that was a nice little um statistic i was like hey that's that's pretty decent um i think once you got over 65 though the number dropped down to like 23 percent. it was pretty rough but that makes sense at that point really yeah i mean it's good to see um individuals like alexandria ocasio-cortez because you know they really normalize this concept of socialism so as in people yeah. would look at well i'd say a normal person would look at her and say okay if she's a socialist i can handle that i could deal with yeah. that yeah she doesn't seem bad at all i would imagine i think she's fantastic to be honest i'd love her to, she could be my president any time of day um Same. and you know i i'd, I'd follow her you know, her lead on that score um yeah. a lot more than I, i'd follow um some other leaders around uh europe but anyway that's a different matter um <laughs> yeah so so she really normalizes this concept of socialism and you know if indeed as as you say the case is that 50 percent of millennials would 
consider living uh, under a socialist government. I, I really hope this continues and this grows. But I imagine that characters such as um, AOC have inspired that change in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, even before AOC, like I'm I'm a huge Bernie Sanders stan. He is such an awesome guy. I mean, he really, for the past several decades, has been really advocating for socialism and socialist movement in America. Um, and he's been amazing. Like since the 1980s, he has just kind of been this symbol in America of social democracy and what it could be. Um, and I, I think that it's amazing to see the more people kind of coming out as socialists and more people advocating for socialist um, like agendas, I suppose you could say, um, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, we need to see more socialist politicians in, in office in America. It, it needs to be that way. And I think that it will be that way. I think that if anything, the Democratic Party does not it, I, I honestly don't even feel as though the Democratic Party stands for what I think a lot of Democrats would want. And I think that it could even, like, if America could get out of the two-party system mindset, it would be nice to see more parties in a social Demo Democrat party. Um, and I think that that party would do very well. Mm. I mean, it's um, Sanders is from Vermont, isn't he? He's a representative. Yes. From, yeah. OK. Yeah. Uh, because he's already getting on. I think he's uh, into his 70s. Um, he's old. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how well informed you are of his state, but I mean, you know, is there a satisfactory sort of socialist voice to replace him, do you think? Um, I honestly don't really know. Um, I'm not super familiar with where Vermont's at. Um, but I think that it's very possible. I think with, with somebody like him and especially if in close proximity, like if you were able to see Bernie Sanders, uh, like giving speeches and whatnot, I feel as though you would have more inspired people, um, and more people who would want to take on that mantle and be like him, um, and coming from Vermont. And people who are in like that state, I think that that's always something that's really important is like people running for a state that they actually fucking live in, because that's something that we're seeing a little bit more of lately is politicians running for like running in states that they don't even really live in. And that's all like that's just it's unbelievable to even imagine how you could do that and how you could be a good representative if you're not even living in the state that you represent. Like a really great example for anybody that's curious is John Fetterman and Dr. Oz. Just like read into that one a little bit. It's so like John Fetterman is so fucking funny. He's an awesome Democrat. Really love that guy. He's super great, but just like, don't really get how that kind of shit can happen. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's, it's almost uh, sort of reminiscent of the rotten boroughs that used to exist a couple of hundred years ago in, in, in the UK, where you basically just you, you stuck somewhere, someone in a place you knew they would be elected. And then once the job was done, boom, back to London, couldn't give a shit. Damn. Um, Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <That's> awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, I think. Yeah, well, I think in those days, only about five or six people were allowed to vote anyway. So it was pretty much, uh, yeah, they knew, they, they knew what was happening. Um, they knew what was going on. Yeah. But I mean, this is one of the things about, um, you know, be, about socialism, which is, you know, I, I think it's quite important for people to understand when, when we talk about the opposition towards socialism. You know, when... After the First World War, the vote was extended to people who before the war didn't have the vote. So um, I think the, the right to vote was introduced to people who didn't own their own homes, who were younger than 30. Um, and then a few years later, after the suffragette movement, women were also given the vote. Um, this Extending the share of the vote in many ways rocked 
the establishment because their privilege of choosing who would be the political power in the country had now been shared with yeah. individuals who essentially were their servants. Yeah. So, 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 so these people, for one minute, I've, where's my privilege? You know, um, and privilege is something which the privileged don't like to share with those yeah. who they consider to be beneath them. So yeah. um, th this is where I believe the greatest animosity towards socialism comes from, because the rich, um, the landed gentry and so on, um, they see people who are their servants. They don't see citizens. Yeah. They don't see equals. They see opportunity to benefit from and exploit this group. Yeah, um, absolutely. And th that's what they can't accept. Yeah. It's it's crazy to imagine that that that's how somebody with so much wealth and so much power in this country views an individual or even just a, a large group of people, which is the vast majority of Americans, like is the working class. They're like the if I'm not mistaken, it's it, I think it was in 2010 that 10% uh, of Americans held 75% of the wealth in America, and that is an overwhelming amount of fucking money, um, and and an unfathomable about unfathomable amount of money. It is like it's money that you would never be able to use all of in your entire lifetime as much as you tried, like. So then what is the harm in giving some of that away? And in when I say giving it away, I more of mean by the government taking it away because you have not proven that you will give it away. You've only proven that it has to be taken at this point. Like when Jeff Bezos has to fucking build a mega yacht and then tear down one of like London's bridges and then fucking rebuild it again for his super stupid boat, Fuck you. You have too much fucking money. Like, he had enough money to get the boat, tear down a bridge, and then rebuild the fucking bridge. Like, jog on, motherfucker. You had enough money to do an entire city re-infrastructure re project, dude. How? How is that possible? Governments can't even do that shit in a matter of days, months even. Like, how long it takes for you to even be like, hey, government, can you like fix the potholes in my alley? They won't do it. They will not do it. Like, and this homie just fucking, just because he has enough money. Like, and, and once you get more people voting, the more you see these people in power uh, lose their power. It's like, I mean, in 2020, we saw mail-in ballots across the board because of COVID in America. And like, what a crazy thing, mail-in ballots. Shut up, dude. Other states have been doing it for fucking decades at this point. Like, it's, it's figured out and there's no issues with it. Like, it is the least fraudulent system that we have for voting. In fact, 2020, we had the least amount of voter fraud any year. So why don't we keep up with these trends and like getting more people to vote? We had the highest voter turnout and it's because you had ease of access to voting, like making it one day only that you can vote in America. You're limiting how many people can vote. It's not even a fucking holiday. So people who work don't even have the day off like it, it's purposely made that way so that way the least amount of people can go in and vote and the people who can go in and vote are the people who can't afford to take the day off work like the bosses who have people who can cover for them or people who don't work and like it it's just this very fucked up system that is very much put in place so that way it benefits the rich and the people in power more than it benefits anybody else that's just where we're at yeah. And also, it's important to, to remember that in, in 2020, uh, you know, Trump and the Republicans in various states made it as difficult as possible for poor communities to vote. Um, yes. they, they, they introduced restrictions on, uh, on the ballot for those who had outstanding fines. Yeah. Um, and they also in, in many states, if I'm I think in some of the southern states, they they 
restricted the number of um, voting centers so that in some cases people would have to drive 300 miles to vote. Yeah. This is ridiculous. This is an attack on democracy. This is an attack on anything uh, which somebody would say is acceptable within a yeah. country like the USA. And yet they did it shamelessly. And if and if you think that America still stands for democracy, then you are wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, we go we jump through all these hoops to make democracy as difficult as possible for as many people as possible. Like if we actually believed in democracy and we actually advocated for democracy, we would stand by a lot of the things that we implemented in over 2020 in terms of easing access to voting for many Americans, including the mail-in ballots, which I stand by and will say are the easiest and best way to vote, period. Like, you get a little slip of paper in the mail. I lived in a state where they send you, like, a packet of information about all the people in, in on your sheet, and you get, like, a baseline information about them, and then you know who you're voting for. It's not, like, just a wild guess. It, it was, like, you got information, you got to read, you got to learn. And I would love to see more shit like that, man. Like, if more people had the ability to educate themselves and understand who they're voting for, why they're voting for them. Like, a lot of people just go into the ballot box and they just vote all Republican or they vote all Democrat. Like, it doesn't matter who and it'll just tick the box for whoever they want. And it, I, there needs to be more precedent and more importance on understanding and the value of your vote and educating yourself before you go vote like understand who your candidates are understand what they stand for understand the things that they advocate for what they've done in the past and the things that they've done in the past like these are all things that are super important and that more americans need to put in the forefront of their mind in terms of just focus on that think about that when you're actually voting these things are important. These things matter. And uh, not enough people do it. Enough, Too many people are just very much like, I'm just voting Republican. I'm just voting Democrat. And not even a thought about like who it is. And that sucks. Yeah, I mean, this level of partisan voting, it's, uh, I think it's, I don't want to say it's unique to the USA because I'm sure there are people who will say, oh, but it's like this in my country. But in Europe, essentially, um, the partisanship has dwindled substantially since the end of the Second World War. So as in, in the, the late 40s, early 50s, I think it was up in the high 60s in some places. And then since then, it's just basically dropped away. Um, there may have been a few blips up and down because uh, under certain circumstances, there were um, some you know, important issues which were sort of socially um, important for people and it got for them sure. out of the house, uh, like, much like 2020, as in that was a huge vote to turn out. No, so the two greatest uh, sort of voting figures for uh, both uh, parties, I believe, yeah. um, in 2020. Um, so, so clearly this will be an anomaly uh, if we look at the, the sort of voting statistics, generally speaking, for the last 50 years. Yeah. Um, you know, but you're right. Isn't there needs to be this sort of a more individualistic approach, which people say, well, a minute, you're a socialist. Now you talk about individualism. Yeah. One doesn't necessarily exclude the other. Um, yeah. And so therefore, people have to realize that even socialists believe in individual liberties. Um, yeah. But if I'm going to vote for someone, as you say, um, I shouldn't simply be a, the kind of person who will vote Democrat because I've always voted Democrat or indeed the other way around, Republican and so on, or completely ignore the possibility of a third party being on the ballot slip yeah. as well. Um, you know, we do need to step away from these, um, yeah, these sort of tinted, uh, you know, views that we have that we should only vote for those who we have always voted for. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it just makes no sense. If for me, there's no progress in that level of continuity. Yeah, and it's stuff that like people's parents and people's parents' parents, like, and the list just kind of goes on and on that they've advocated for and that they've pushed for and the things that they've like really pressured their children to do and how old and archaic a lot of this stuff is like it's 
not socially acceptable to be homophobic. Like, I think that we have decided as a society in America, the vast majority of, of us have decided that being homophobic is wrong and that's fucked up. Like, that hasn't always been the case. Societies change. And these households that continue to suppress and, like, any idea of being gay, period, or, like, oppress their home, like, their... Um, their children for being gay like it's it's all just like these very archaic ideas that just keep getting pressured on and passed on and on and on and until eventually like it blows up like like we were talking about earlier like in a lot of these like mass shootings how it can be traced back to these like almost like catalyst events of like not being able to open up about your sexuality or to anything like that or not being able to talk about your depression like there are many things that like americans have ingrained into their mind that they really kind of just push on and do not ever let go of and just kind of adamantly stand on um many of those things just being like pulling yourself up by the bootstraps um you have to do it yourself and the government's not going to help you and that you, you like men don't cry you gotta be a big strong man um and that you gotta get a wife and that your wife has to cook in the kitchen and have like seven babies and shit and like we've changed as a society like that's not what we see as a society anymore. love is anything people can be anything and it's not a limitation of who you love how you love like what you love it, it it's it's all of these really weird things that people decide that they're like oh that's weird and i don't like that so we're socially deciding that that's wrong like we're we're at it's a 20 it's 2022 like and we're having this conversation about gay marriage again about whether or not it's okay like that's insane to imagine I don't think a lot, I don't think many of us thought that we would be having this conversation again. I feel like a lot of us really thought that they would just be like that that when uh gay marriage was ruled legal that it would be okay and that everything would be fine. And yet we're living in uh, a hellscape that constantly flips what we know on its head. Like it it's terrifying that that such basic human rights can be obliterated in a matter of a day by a group of small individuals who hold an infinite amount of power in this country it's terrifying okay I'll, we've already gone through the uh, the hour mark so I'll, I'll ask you one one final question uh, just to just sort of round things off and then, yeah within um, yeah i'll let you get on with the rest of your day but um Considering the current situation um, in of politics in the USA, can you realistically see um, the Democrats making big headway in the midterms? No. Unfortunately, no. Um, the Republican Party has been very strong. Um, they've been able to push and push. And the Democrats haven't done anything. Um, Joe Biden's got a 75% approval rating right now with Democrats. Um, and that's pretty fucking low. Donald Trump, if I'm not mistaken, Donald Trump never hit below 90%, um, which is fucking high. Um, which, if anything, shows you that the Democrats are not doing well. Democrats are not doing the things that we said we would do uh, when we voted for them to come into office. And so I think that a lot of Democrats are really fucking pissed off because this is frustrating. Like, we've had Democrats in office for the past few years, and they haven't done anything. And yet the whole time that, like, in the come up to the midterms, they have been like, send us money, send us these camp for our campaign. And I don't, I'm not going to do that because you haven't done anything. They, they're like, you have to go out and vote. This is the most important election to go vote in. And 
while that might might be true, um, they haven't done anything. Democrats haven't done anything in the two years that we've been in power. And so we're going to see less voter turnout for the Democrats, and we're going to see more voter turnout for the Republicans because the Republicans, if they're not in power, the Republicans come out and they fucking vote. Like, that's what happens routinely. And so we're going to see more Republican voter turnout and less Democrat uh, voter turnout. And that's going to suck. I think that it'll be interesting to see how it ends up like playing out overall. But I think that Democrats will lose uh, the House. Um, I think that that's definitely on the table. Okay. Uh, There's uh, three and a half months until the midterms? Yeah, it's almost August. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming up quick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll just have to see how it goes. But, I mean, I know that I'm still going to go out and vote. I mean, nothing's changing on my end. But... The only thing that's changed is how frustrated I am with with my party and the things that they've done and the things that they said that they would do and the lack of them doing any of that. It's been super frustrating. So I'm still going to advocate for voting. I still think that people should do it. I just also think that it's really frustrating that like the Democrats have been this whole time not doing anything. And yet they're like, come on, vote us back in, vote us back in like. I'm only going to fucking vote you guys back in because I'm scared of the Republican Party and what they can do. Because they continuously prove that they are so fucking powerful. Like, they can do anything at this point. And so I, I have to kind of try to keep my Dems in, in, in office if I can. But I don't, I don't particularly want to, honestly. Mm. So that's frustrating. Yeah, and, and and a poor indictment of the the performance of the the Democrats over the last couple of years, and, and essentially their lack of creativity, uh, whilst yeah. have, having the keys to power, which is uh, yeah extremely unfortunate. We've had a good amount of power, and the president is enough power that they can overturn and put into action a lot of things. Like we saw how many executive orders Donald Trump put into play, but. Meanwhile, this whole time, Joe Biden kind of just lazes about and doesn't really do too much. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how all of these elections go in the future. And God, I really hope that we see more uh, like voter availability, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure we'll speak um, way before the the midterms come about. Um, uh, I imagine so. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, thank you very much again, Aiden. Um, it's yeah, always good to hear your passionate words. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah too. It's lovely to chat with you, Zach. Too. Take care of yourself. You too. Too. And. Um, like.